Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Our sermon text for this morning and the gospel lesson comes from Luke's gospel. It's the fifth chapter. We'll take a look at verses 1 through 11. So this is again Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him. Now in the Gospels, nine times out of ten, who's the him? Jesus. To hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking... He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. My friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. God. Do you know about how many miracles Jesus performed as recorded in the Gospels? See, we have to say it like that because John tells us at the end of his Gospel that there were a lot of others that weren't written down. That if every single one of them were written down, the whole world would not be large enough to contain all the books that would have to be written. So do you have any idea exactly how many miracles or signs that Jesus performed in the Gospels? By my count, it's about 34. From turning water into wine at Cana to the resurrection... There are 34 recorded instances of Jesus performing some kind of a miracle or a sign. And we often think of these miracles or signs as singular events, as one and dones. It starts at the wedding of Cana with Jesus turning water into wine. And from there, the list includes Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, healing the centurion's servant, stilling a terrible storm in the sea, 
raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, healing the invalid at Bethsaida, healing the blind man, curing, curing the ten lepers, raising Lazarus from the dead. There are many others. And many of these miracles are once-in-a-lifetime events for the people that are involved in them. But sometimes, as you read through the Gospels, miracles happen in pairs. That is, they happen more than once. And when miracles come in pairs, they happen more than once. It's helpful for us to consider just how they interact with one another. For example, a few months ago we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Now the feeding of the 5,000 took place amongst the Jews. And then a few passages later we read about the feeding of the 4,000, which takes place among the Gentiles. And so from these two stories, what we are made witnesses to is the totality of the ministry of Jesus. Just exactly who does Jesus come to preach and teach and save? And it's everybody. Not just Israel, but all nations. And you and I talked about this last week, didn't we? When we spoke about not allowing ourselves to be succumbed by feelings of superiority or entitlement. But the reason I want to point that out, friends, is because in our text this morning from Luke, we are reading about a miracle that of itself is also part of a pair. This miraculous catch of fish after a long night of not catching anything happens not just once but twice in the recorded ministry of Jesus. And unlike the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000, this miracle happens twice to the same person. That person being our good friend, Peter. Now, in the first occurrence, Peter is washing his nets after a long night of fishing. And he and the fellows have caught nothing. Jesus asks, hey, can I use your boat to speak to the crowds? And Peter says, sure. So Jesus gets into the boat and he speaks. After all, I guess Peter's thinking it might as well be used for something because it sure hasn't been used for catching any fish. But after Jesus finishes teaching the crowds, he turns, talks to Peter, and teaches Peter in a very different way. And this teaching has a profound effect on Peter because he goes from referring to Jesus as master or teacher in verse 5 and instead refers to Jesus as Lord just three verses later. How does Jesus affect this change in Peter? Well, he does this by asking Peter to go against all of his fishing experience, to deny his fruitless night of fishing, to defy his lifetime of knowledge about his own chosen vocation, and to simply trust in a word from Jesus. Well, stop a minute and think about this. We're told that Peter is here fishing on the lake of Gennesaret. It's also called the Sea of Galilee in other places. And this is the largest freshwater lake in the area with about 30 miles of shoreline. And the fact that Peter has more than one boat, we learned that in verse 2, and that Peter is working with partners, we learned that in verse 7, clues us in that Peter is very much what you and I would refer to these days as a small business owner. To cover that much water and having multiple boats with multiple partners means that Peter knows what he's doing. And he must have been pretty good at it. And now this teacher, who is a carpenter, is going to tell him how to fish. 
But Peter agrees to it. Why? It must have been something about what Jesus was teaching and preaching about in his boat that stirred something in Peter. Because remember, he's there in the boat with Jesus as Jesus is teaching and preaching to those that are on the shore. And whatever it is that Jesus is teaching and preaching about has such an effect on him that he, a seasoned fisherman, is willing to listen to and do what Jesus asks, even if what Jesus asks seems totally beyond any reason and experience. But when Peter does this, and he takes the boat out to the deep a little bit, and he drops the nets, a miraculous catch of fish appears. And while the fishermen strain to draw in the nets, while others come over to help, Peter turns, looks at Jesus, and falls on his knees. And he asks Jesus to go away. Being in the presence of such a miracle causes Peter to sense his own sinfulness and fall on his knees, not begging for mercy, but rather that the Lord would just walk away. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There are overtones here to the call of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. For those that don't know, it's in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in the temple and admitted to his profound imperfection, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And what these two stories have in common is that being that close to the divine light does not diminish our sense of sin, it instead enhances it. But once Isaiah admits of his sin, God cleanses him and sends him on mission. If you remember, the Lord asks, who will go for us? And Isaiah says what? Here I am, send me. And in the very same way, this penitent Peter also here was forgiven, also here was commissioned. Don't be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And friends, in the exact same way, God is calling you and God is calling me to admit of our sins, be cleansed, and go. Now, the second occurrence of this miracle happens at the end of the Gospel of John. It's chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. And there, the disciples are out again on the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing. Jesus, at this time, has made a few post-resurrection appearances. And now we see our favorite fishermen turned disciples doing their most favorite thing in this world to do, which is fish. And again, they've spent all night fishing. They haven't caught a thing. And then suddenly this figure appears on the shore. And this figure asks them if they have caught any fish, and they reply, we have not. And then he says, hey, drop your nets on the other side of the boat. And then once again, they are engulfed in a miracle. The disciples are overwhelmed and strained to gather the nets because of this large quantity of fish. This time, however, when Peter recognizes that it is Jesus, he does not fall on his knees and beg him to go away. No, this time, when Peter recognizes who it is, he puts on his outer garment to make himself presentable, jumps in the water, and swims as fast as he can to get to Jesus just as quickly as possible. This one who had denied even knowing Jesus who lived with the guilt of that sin, came swimming as fast as he could to the Lord. He could not wait to get to Jesus. So the question then is why? What has happened to make such a difference? At the first miracle, Peter falls down in shame and asks Jesus to go away. At the second miracle, 
the fishes that Peter catches is so overwhelming that he is overwhelmed with joy and he rushes to get to Jesus. What explains the difference in Peter's attitude? What explains the difference in Peter's response to these two miracles? Well, the difference is that in between these two miracles stands the death and resurrection of Jesus. Between these two miracles is three long years of following Jesus and watching closely as heavenly grace breaks forth upon the earth. Peter has seen just how Jesus cares for those who are in need. To the hungry, Jesus provides food. To the sick, Jesus provides healing. To those who are hiding in shame, Jesus provides a place of honor. To all who have sinned, Jesus promises forgiveness. Peter really hasn't changed that much. He's still a sinner in need of forgiveness. But Peter's knowledge of who Jesus is has changed. And when faced with the choice of living in his sin or entrusting his life to Jesus, Peter rushes to come to Jesus because he believes that Jesus forgives and saves. And yes, Jesus is the one who forgives. He died to pay the penalty of all sin and God raised him from the dead to live and offer forgiveness to all who come to him. Because of the love and mercy of Jesus, friends, we can come into the presence of our all-powerful and just God just as we are. My study Bible says this about the passage and it is so beautiful that I wanted to share it with you. It says this, it says, The two stages of receiving the gospel are wonderfully manifested in this story. First, it is necessary that we see ourselves clearly as sinful and broken before the holy God, just as Peter did. But this alone will result in despair if the second stage is lacking, seeing Jesus as gracious, forgiving, and inviting us to follow him. The gospel comes to us in two ways. First, by allowing ourselves to see ourselves as the sinful, broken people we are in need of a Savior. But then second, allowing us to see Jesus as gracious, forgiving, inviting us to follow him. And as I read these words this week, and I reflected on these two miracles of the fishes and this difference between Peter's two responses, it caused me to reflect on things happening here at our church. Because churches are imperfect institutions led by imperfect people, and that certainly extends to your preaching. And there will be days where I will have a moment to think about things that I have said or things I have thought or ways that I have behaved, and I will feel inadequate. I'll feel out of sorts. I'll feel distracted. I'll feel stressed out, and I'll feel ineffective. And I find myself sometimes praying, God, you're going to have to give me a couple minutes to get myself straight. And figure out what it is that I'm doing here. And then. And then I'll get together with my preschool buddies in chapel here and Jesus is there. Then I'll hear the carts from the food pantry roll down the hallway to assist one of our neighbors in need and Jesus is there. Then I'll hear Joe in our office offering kindness and support to someone who needs help in an emergency and Jesus is there. Then I hear the doors upstairs swing open and the elevator whirring as our blanket ministry ladies get to work, and Jesus is there. And I hear the buzz of conversation before our Bible studies on Wednesdays and Sunday school classes on Sunday mornings, and Jesus is there. 
Then I'll hear SC and Spence and Arturo in the kitchen cooking up Thursday morning breakfast for the youth, and I know that Jesus is there. I'll make a home visit, and Jesus is there. I'll get an email from Paula Arnita about the cards that they sent out to some of our members, and Jesus is there. I'll have conversations with Cindy about the children's program and Ruth about the youth program, about Nathan, about music ministries, and Jesus is always, always there. And these are just a few of the things that go on here. And then I'll come up here on Sunday nights, sorry, Saturday nights, and I'll be alone in this sanctuary, 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And I'll go to each pew and pray that the person that may be sitting there on Sunday morning feels some connection to the Lord. That whether because of me or in spite of me, that the Holy Spirit connects with just one person. And you better believe that Jesus is here. And so friends, I also, like Peter, come running to him. I know he swam, but I like to run. I come running to him. I come running to him knowing that my life is in his hands. That this church and this community is in his hands. And I get excited. And I feel joy. And I feel happiness. And then I can't wait to stand up here on Sunday mornings and tell you all about it and invite you to do the exact same thing. I told Ruth last week that this church reminds me of one of those old cartoons where you see a guy and he's eating and eating and eating and eating. And his belly is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you see his belt straining, 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 straining against it. And then finally the belt buckle blows and then all things, he just breaks loose, right? That's where I think we are. I think this church is ready for something big. But friends, if we're going to get there, we got to get there together. And we got to get there with everybody with their eyes on Jesus and nothing else because we've all got distractions and hurts we've all made missteps and mistakes God wants to take all of that from you and put you to work advancing the kingdom God wants to give you grace so that you can spread the message of grace God wants to give you mercy so you can spread the message of mercy. God wants to give you love so you can spread the message of love. So friends, this morning, at this hour, come to Jesus. Because he is here waiting to receive you. He promises that no sin, nothing you have thought, said, or done will be held against you. He has risen from the dead and he has come here to forgive you. Jesus is here teaching us today through these memories of his miracles that he has not come to send you away with all sinners, but rather to forgive you and receive you and all sinners into the kingdom. And so, my dear friends, I invite you to come to Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.